I didn't quite realise that if it's not 100% yes or an enthusiastic yes, it's a no. If whoever that you're with keeps pressuring you to take things further, even if you eventually say yes, but it's like someone that's following you around at the shopping centre. If they keep asking you to buy something, you'll eventually give in. Something like that, it's coercive control and I think that's something I have experienced and probably a lot of women have experienced that and they don't really realize that there is something wrong with that. This is episode number 520 with Liv Arnold, sexual consent and improving mental health. Hi, everybody. I'm Sandy Wiener. Welcome back to Last First Date Radio, where we believe it is never too late to go on your last first date. And if you'd like support on your journey to lasting love, I wrote a book and it's called Becoming a Woman of Value, How to Thrive in Life and Love. And it's filled with tons of tips and tools and exercises to help you step into your value and become much more confident in all areas of life, especially in the area of communication and like really owning your worth. And every week I bring you a tip on how to become a woman of value. This week's tip is step number 21, which is your past doesn't limit you. And we go in order with these tips because I have 30 of them in the book. And it's always interesting how I can tie it into the week's episode. And I think that with this episode that we're going to be talking about sexual consent and mental health and, and harassment and all those things, a lot of times if we've had a rough past, and many of us have, we think that's it, you know, I was born this way, or I've had a really bad experience, or I've been abused in the past, or I tend to always attract the same kind of partners. And I'm telling you, based on my own experience, and and the experience I have as coach for almost 15 years, that your past is not a determinant of your present or your future. It's the work that you do to clear your past so you don't carry it with you. And so my challenge for you this week is to look at where you might be holding yourself back and thinking that I am this way because of something that happened in the past and reframe your story so you can begin to create a new path towards your future. And before I bring Liv on, I want to invite you to join my fabulous Facebook group. It's called Your Last First Date. We have so many podcast listeners who join us. So I'm really grateful to all of the people who've come over already. We have about 3,600 women in there. And it's a really active group of women over 40 who are interested in self-growth, who are not interested in just coming and complaining, which is what happens in most groups for single women. And we actually have women who are married now and who stay in the group because the, the support is so positive and it's still so, it adds so much value to their lives. So join us over at Your Last First Date on Facebook. And now for my guest, Liv Arnold. She has worked as a copywriter for several global companies and she now runs her own freelance business. She lives in Melbourne. She's from Melbourne and she's there with her husband and their dog, who she calls this uh, spoiled dog who only eats freshly cooked meals. She's the author of the novella Law and Disorder and the novels Etched in Stone and the new novel. And both of these books are part of her Invested in You series. She is a regular contributor to Cosmo and she gives advice on sexual wellness. Welcome to the show, Liv. 
Thank you for having me. And I'll definitely join your Facebook group. Oh, great. <laughs> um, so tell us about the new book, Stepping Stone, and a little bit about what it's about, but also why you wrote it. I wanted to write an edgier romance. So one um, that addresses real life issues such as PTSD, anxiety, depression. Uh, the main male character, he has PSTD <laughs> from being in the um, war in Afghanistan. While his um, exchange wife, she's sort of dealing with her own sexuality. So since they're separated, she's been exploring that a little bit more. They've both been together for about 20 years. So it's a bit difficult to navigate without each other but then they're working towards back to each other as well I mainly wrote the book because I've always had anxiety um so I take medication for anxiety and I, I know sometimes you do read about this in books about mental health and um I, I could bring what I experience and the physical reactions I get from having anxiety into these characters so that's why I want to write the book I'm sure so many people can relate to both yeah. PTSD and anxiety. Yeah. You know, I was just actually talking to somebody who has PTSD from a, a totally, for a totally different reason. I mean, many, many people have it from big traumatic experiences, like witnessing some trauma, like a war or yeah. the world trade towers falling. I had a friend who, who had that, but it could be something as simple as, you know, just seeing something really scary in your own family or, you know, something like that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and the anxiety, I'm actually giving a speech tomorrow night about my first panic attack because I want to bring some awareness to the fact to like normalizing panic, anxiety, claustrophobia, all the things that so many people yeah. are embarrassed to talk about. How did your anxiety show up in your life? I think it's something I always had, but it wasn't diagnosed until about 10 years ago, because I remember even when I was in primary school, I could never get to sleep that well, because I would be stressing about made up imaginary things that I thought could happen, but never actually did, or I would keep spiraling into the worst case scenario. So yeah, so that that's, that, that's how it sort of came about for me, just sort of like always picturing the worst that could happen maybe just so that I could feel a bit more prepared but really it's not helping me in any way absolutely yeah I mean look I I, I see it all the time in the dating world where a lot of my clients will sabotage a relationship because of anxiety they'll imagine the worst thing like the man doesn't call her when he says he does he's going to call yeah, and I do then, that yeah right <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, he, he doesn't love me anymore. He found another woman. He's, you know, <laughs> he got hit by a car. You know, we can, we can totally make up stories. And so yeah. do you have tools that you use for your anxiety? Like to, besides the medication, do you have a way to reframe or, you know, to put those stories into reality instead of just your fantasy? Well, I, I found writing has really helped me because I, I, I think it's better than therapy and, and any medication um, personally for me because when I'm writing, I, I get taken away from whatever I'm worrying about and then it's I've, I'm sort of brought back into the present with um, writing about made-up characters, fiction, um, fictional stories. So that helps me bring me back to the present. But recently I discovered um, the Wim Hof Challenge where you do the cold showers and the breathing exercises. And the cold showers are pretty brutal, doing 10 minutes 
a day, but I, but the, the logic is that if you can withstand the cold, you can withstand people's harsh criticisms. <laughs> That's what I find. Yeah, my, my son-in-law uh, was totally into the Wim Hof challenge and yeah. he was taking cold chair, he was taking ice baths and, yeah. and oh my God, I just... Yeah, I'm your body. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't even imagine. I mean, I'm I'm always cold. Like so in the yeah, in the winter, I'm, I'm I'm like in bats all the time. Well, your winter I'm, is our summer, but yeah. Yeah. Well, it's winter here now, and I'm always cold as well. So at um nighttime, I sleep with the electric blanket on high throughout the whole <laughs> night, even though I know that's probably not good, but that yeah, that's just what I do. <laughs> yeah. So to go from that to ice cold showers is quite a yeah. quite a feat <laughs> but I, I like what you said also about being kind of brought into the present and focusing on something else yeah. and I think that's a good tool for a lot of people to take away to even journal and um, if you're not a writer like you but to, to actually yeah. journal or write about something else or find a way to distract yourself from the yeah. worry even taking a walk, you know, being being present in some way, getting in nature is really helpful. Well, I think one other thing is I do journal at the end of the day. So even if it's a few sentences, I write what I'm grateful for. So just a few things I'm grateful for during the day, just so that it keeps bringing me back to the present. Yeah, gratitude is huge. That's yeah. a huge, it's a really great way to, to not only be present, but to get out of your head and to see what is true and what is good in the moment instead of what could be or what might not be or just whatever your brain wants to make up. We're gonna dive into um, a heavy topic to sexual harassment because you, you, like many women, have experienced harassment, sexual harassment. Can you share a little bit about your story? I think when I was younger, I didn't quite realize that if it's not 100% yes or an enthusiastic yes it's a no if whoever that you're with keeps pressuring you to take things further even if you eventually say yes but it's like someone that's following you around at the shopping center if they keep asking you to buy something you'll eventually give in something like that it's coercive control and I think that's something I have experienced and probably a lot of women have experienced that and they don't really realize that there is something wrong with that. But like, I couldn't really understand why, like there was something wrong with the situation because it was consent, but not, yeah, but like not that enthusiastic. Like it was just more something I just felt weird about afterwards. That's very relatable. And yeah, I teach a lot about boundaries. And when, yeah. when you set a boundary with somebody and not everybody has the skill to set a boundary, but when you say, I need to take it slow or... I can't, or that's too fast or no. And then they keep pushing. We call that boundary pushers. And those yeah. people, basically what they're saying is what I need and want is more important than what you need and want. And if you're not yeah. really strong, if you don't have that, that, you know, really inner strength to say, okay, I really mean it. And here's what I'm going to do about it you can end up saying yes when you mean no. And, you know, people in relationships, long-term relationships, and we don't want to have sex. They don't feel connected. And then the, the spouse will use some coercive force. Even if it doesn't feel like rape, it yeah. still feels coercive and it feels disrespectful. Yeah. And, and I did research about that. And 
there's a lot of things that could be considered as coercive control, such as like withholding affection, if you try to stand your ground, or if they say something like, if you really feel something for me, you would do this. Like, so there's a lot of lines that they they could do, or like they could just even um, just suddenly just sit away and and then you sort of feel, uh, yeah, like uneasy about everything. Yeah, I mean, I, I was just listening to a podcast about sex and when let's say a woman needs a man to slow down or or um, do something different than he's doing and she's afraid to tell him number one because of her past experiences maybe she was pushed away or she was the guy shut down or he got really angry we carry these things with us so that we're not really speaking our truth and we're not always able to assert what we need and want which it sounds like what you're describing with just giving in is a form of consent but it's not really what you wanted yeah and I think that's why some women like when that happens they feel like it's not quite right that they happened but that happened but they don't really know the reason why um yeah and I think only when I googled it and I researched it then I started to put the pieces together a bit more and 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 why it sort of felt wrong at the time I think even past dating experiences that can carry on to your future relationships like um, talking about PTSD beforehand even it that could happen with past relationships as well, because you think that could happen in your future relationship. Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Music Unlimited. You can listen to over 70 million songs and thousands of playlists and stations. Plus, you can now stream your favorite podcasts like Last First Date Radio. You can listen to any song, anytime, anywhere, on any of your devices, your smartphone, your tablet, your PC or Mac, Fire TV, and any Alexa-enabled devices like the Amazon Echo. Get Amazon Music Unlimited for free for 30 days. Just head on over to getamazonmusic.com forward slash last first date to learn more and claim this offer. You talk about sexual consent and mental health in your books, in your romance yeah. novels. And um, so, yeah, why did why did you use that as a tool? And how do you think using that medium can help teach those things to sexual consent and mental health? Well, I, I wanted to normalize mental health and, and make it seem that it's okay. Well, not not okay, but it's something that every, everyone does go through and have those challenges um I think with romance books in general a lot of people um they sort of look down on you if you if you write or read romance books but I don't think there's anything wrong with that everyone should be able to read what they want to read and it is another form of slut shaming in a way to look down on people that enjoys reading it because in a lot of romance books, the main female character, they take charge of their sexuality. They know what they want. Um, they're, they're in charge, like, every step of their way in, like, their sex lives. Um, and they do have good sex. And, and yeah, that's what they deserve. So you basically uh, are creating these characters who are empowered. Yeah. 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 So, and, 
like and in romance it always has to be a hundred percent yes like really enthusiastic or else it's a no like regardless of the circumstances that leads up to the event so I just wanted to do right by readers by think right so if they read it they'll they'll think it's oh as a woman it's okay to take charge of what you want and that's not something society often says that you're allowed to do yeah that's beautiful look people are going to put down anything anybody does you know it doesn't matter (laughs) how how you know you're doing wonderful work in the world there are always going to be people who will say you're wrong is there a particular character who took control of her sexuality? And um, if so, if you can just tell us a little bit about how that how that happened. Yeah, so my main female character, Jenna Kravitz, so while she's separated from her husband and they're trying to work their way back to each other, she realises that she has a secret fetish for light BDSM and but she was always too ashamed to voice this out loud. And while she, they're getting to know each other again, she feels more empowered because they're not together anymore. So she sort of feels like that um, she's got nothing to lose by suggesting this to him because they're separated anyway. So she just wanted to take charge of what she wanted because during work time, she's um, this boss lady and it can't, and it can be difficult and stressful with all, all the pressures of full-time work. So she wanted to relinquish that control. So that's one aspect where I wanted her to really take charge of what she really wanted, despite it maybe sounding taboo in society. Fetishes in general are looked at with a lot of judgment. Yeah. And it's one thing I definitely have learned since starting to do this work with women is that tons of people have fetishes and they're just, they're just what they are, you know? And it's like, we're all entitled to want what we want. Not everybody's going to want what we want. And that's where sexual consent comes in. Like if you are into BDSM and someone's not, it's not going to work. But if you have consent and somebody's willing to try something new, then it can work. And, and they both work out together how it can work and they discuss it like so, um, yeah, they discuss it beforehand. So it, it was a conversation and they said, we'll give this a go. It is a case of a woman taking charge of their sexuality and, and not being ashamed of what she wants. I like that. You give a percentage of your profits to the Anxiety yeah. and Depression Association of America. And why did you decide to do that? Well, I've always had uh, challenges with anxiety. I think a lot of people don't realise when people see me starting to voice every single thought process that I'm having because my thoughts are going a bit out of control, sometimes they they say, oh, it'll be all good, just calm down. But I think they it's easier said than done when people say stuff like that. So that that's what I wanted to do. That and um, I think so many people do suffer from anxiety or depression, especially with um, lockdowns as well. There mm. seems to be an increase in that, and I, I wanted to donate to to the cause that I personally have experienced. So you're saying that when people just kind of dismiss it and say, "Oh, you'll yeah. be fine. Don't worry about it." Yeah, and then so when people say that, I sort of think, well why didn't I think of that? Like, I'll, I'll just calm down right now. But so, <laughs> but it never happened. <laughs> Tell us how the Anxiety and Depression Association helped you, like in what ways? 
So they have a lot of resources on that website, which I really appreciated. And it also shows that you're not alone when going through this because you do see that a lot of people at some point in their lives, they go through mental health challenges. I grew up with a bipolar father who had a lot of depression and mostly depression. I wouldn't see the manic side very much, but he would dip really low. And my parents got divorced when I was getting married. So like at the same time, they were totally dealing with their own stuff. And, and I remember my father calling me and telling me how awful my mother was. And I had to set boundaries with him. You can't, you can't tell me these things. And so I grew up with mental illness in the family and I was also parentified very young. I was put in that role of caregiver and adult. And yeah. so I, I, as a parent was very aware of mental health and mental illness and really wanted my kids to grow up with as, as healthy an environment as possible. And yeah. of course, you know, we all do our best and my kids have their own struggles, but I think I, I raised them in a family where all of their needs mattered. And I think they felt loved just for who they were, not what they achieved. And we never focused on, oh, if you don't get an A, you're, you're not a good person. That causes yeah. a lot of anxiety. But I see the anxiety now in some of my kids and some of them are really working on themselves and some of them are just now becoming aware. But I, I think that it's just so important not to not to stigmatize any of this, like to be able to speak openly. And I like that your book does that and that you're doing that, that you're speaking out to support people, to let them know they're not alone. Yeah. And yeah, and especially the pandemic. I mean, so many people are were suffering the last few years and still without being, without having socializing, without getting the support they need. I mean, just getting out into society again is also traumatizing for a lot of people. Yeah, well, it's interesting that you say that you grew up with mental health challenges within your family because when I was younger, so my mom's a hoarder, there's toothpaste everywhere, there's toothpaste on the walls, on the ceiling. Um, she can't bear to throw out yogurt tubs or or jars or anything like that. So she uses those to plant weeds in them. And she, she pretty much has a use for everything, even rubbish. She uses this to put around the garden um, because she thinks it stops the weeds from growing. And when I was younger, I sort of thought this was normal. I, I didn't realize that this could have been a mental health challenge that she was going through. And it, and it was a sign of anxiety. Yeah. And I think many people who grow up with homes that are different in very unhealthy ways, they don't realize that that it's really not normal because to them it is normal. And I yeah. think that was one of my biggest uh, learnings was after my divorce, I read a book about how to not, how to stop attracting emotionally dangerous men. And there was a whole piece in the beginning about how did you grow up and what did you accept as normal? And if you have had experiences where you accepted certain behaviors as normal, because maybe your feelings were dismissed, maybe what you experienced in your home was abuse on a level or sometimes on a big level, and yeah. you didn't see that as 
wrong. Like you just saw it as, well, that was what I experienced. And I, I personally, even though I couldn't name what I was feeling, I knew something better existed and I would gravitate towards homes that had less chaotic environments. Yeah. My best friends had like the most stable homes where it was <laughs> just parents who loved their children and would pay attention to them. And I think that some of us have more resilience and others don't. And as we grow into adulthood, it comes back, right? Because we can't, our body holds the truth and we really need to deal with whatever trauma we've grown up with. Yeah. Well, when I was younger, I was just used to being just stepping over rubbish. I didn't realize that was something that wasn't normal. And I only when what some one time when some of my friends came over, they asked me if we just moved in to, to the house. And it was like, and I said, no, we've been here for at least 10 years. And so that was when I realized maybe something wasn't quite right here. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, you can laugh about it. But. Yeah, but when you that there's a lot of anxiety there. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, I have a brother who's a hoarder. Mental illness shows up in many different ways. <laughs> and if it's not blatant, like you're not getting hit, you don't see it as abuse, or you don't see it yeah. as abnormal or chaos. Chaos is present in a lot of people's homes. And yeah. you have to figure out a way to live your life as an adult and to deal with whatever, whatever the fallout is. Yeah. Well, I think even like um, society, we do get more aware of terms like the term gaslighting. It seems to have come up maybe five, 10 years ago when I remember when I first started dating, I didn't really know about that term. And when that term started coming up, I was thinking maybe this guy that I dated when I was 18, 19, maybe he was gaslighting me and I just didn't realize it. Oh, yeah. Well, I think yeah. the, the gaslighting happens with the harassment, too. It's yeah, that's that whole manipulation that you were talking about before when somebody pushes yeah. you and something wrong with you. What's wrong with you? Maybe you're just you're broken. You're the problem. You you're the one who has all the problems. I'm not doing anything wrong. And that's where people start to believe, oh, maybe I do have all the problems. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Because thinking back on it, he used to tell me things that, um, that happens that never did or vice versa. So he, he would say that never happened when I clearly remembered it did. And at first, like I think since that term gaslighting, people weren't aware of it. I, I didn't really know how to make of that. Like when, when he was saying stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, you start to believe these words yeah. that are not true. Yeah. My final question that I ask everybody is what are your final words of advice for anyone who wants to go on their last first date? I think just have fun. Um, if you're, if you're a woman or, or a man, like um, don't be afraid to take control of what you want. I, I was watching this movie called Malibu Crush where the main female character, she takes charge of the date. She wanted to go to the beach, go, roller skating have ice cream on the beach while the man was a bit shy so if the guy is shy there's nothing wrong with saying what you actually want on a date yeah and have fun with it so when I was writing another book about seniors reconnecting later on in life and they're going on a date and they're going around in the park 
just yelling out inappropriate things to strangers. Um, so they're older. And so they would just call out things like, I hope no one finds that body in the park or things <laughs> like that. So like just to shock people. So yeah, so just do anything to suit your personality, whether it's like that movie Malibu Crush where um, it's more laid back and having ice cream or something a bit more outrageous, like just to, yeah, just do something about that. <laughs> I so agree. I think we forget about fun. And to yeah. me, the best dates I've ever had have been fun. Like I, I went go-karting with a guy once and it, it's just, we had fun. And, and that's, to me, that's the key. Tell us where is the best way for people to find you and your books? You can find me on livearnold.com. Or you can find me on Instagram and Twitter. So both handles are live underscore au. My Facebook handles live Arnold author. And um, my books are available in all major online retailers. Okay, wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Liv, for coming thank on the you. show. And thank you for having um, me. Yeah, shedding some light on this important topic and and doing it through a fun medium, being able to read a romance novel and sort yeah. of, you know, work out some really important topics with yeah. characters who are empowered. And hopefully our audience will be more empowered by listening to this episode. I hope so, because um, it, it is a lot of fun writing sex, sex scenes, even though talking about it, I still blush about it. So <laughs> it can go both ways still. Right. Well, thank you again. Thank you. And thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, if you do love our show, please rate and review us. Give us a good rating on Apple Podcasts. And as always, here's to your last first date. If you are ready to get unstuck, gain new tools, become more empowered, and finally find your last first date, I'd love to talk to you. Fill out an application to be considered for a complimentary half-hour love breakthrough session at lastfirstdate.com forward slash application. That's lastfirstdate.com forward slash application. I look forward to talking to you soon.